Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have Lucien Engelin. He's a director at Reshape Center, Rudamuk and Global Strategist Digital Health Deloitte Center for the Edge. He's working at the intersection of technology and patient empowerment. This is where he really hits his stride. He's a founding director at the Rudbaud University Medical Center's Reshape Center. He's a fellow at the Deloitte Center for the Edge, core faculty at Exponential Medicine. That's the Singularity University uh, group based out of Silicon Valley. His new book, Augmented Healthcare, is all about the end of the beginning. He thinks that we're at the end of the beginning of an era of creating awareness, pilots, proof of concept, et cetera, in the digital transformation of healthcare. He's done a lot from hosting TEDx conferences, speaker at the TED conferences, and he's delivered a lot of value through various different startups, roles that he's fulfilled. So it's a pleasure to have Lucien on the podcast today, and I want to open up the microphone to you, Lucien, to fill in any of the gaps of the introduction that I may have missed. Well, thank you very much, Saul. Uh, The only thing that we should add is that I'm a proud dad of four and and a lovely uh, wife, of course, uh, making sure that we... Uh, besides all the fun thing that we can do in our work, which actually is not work, but more kind of a mission and a great joy to be in at this moment in time. Also try to spend time with my family, of course. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. So you've been in the healthcare space for a while, Lucien. What is it that made you decide to get into it to begin with? Well, first of all, I'm from a business family. We were in automotive. We sold cars. We had gas stations. We also had a funeral undertaking services and also ambulance services, which back in the days was pretty normal in the Netherlands, you could say. It were, they were a combination of activities that kind of fitted in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could not think of that anymore now in the 2018s, that that would be a common thing, at least in the Netherlands. And I was more mostly involved at the funeral side of it and the ambulance services. Yeah. And when we sold our companies, well, due to the fact that we thought there should be also some other things and also other meaning into it, I pursued in the ambulance sphere and for over 35 years involved as a director and 
and also create all kinds of mergers and acquisitions and building dispatch centers for, I think, like 25 years in total. And the last thing I did, we've merged a couple of ambulance services and a dispatch center in a foundation. And as the CEO of that foundation, after five years, I thought, well, you need now somebody who's coming up and watching the shop, actually. And I'm more like a builder. Yeah. And that's when I joined Robert University Medical Center in 2008, trying to reshuffle the acute healthcare services over there, being also responsible for the trauma helicopter. By the way, made sure that the thing also was able to fly in the dark uh, with this night vision goggles, which was also was an oh, interesting project, nice. I can tell you. And gradually, also from my role as advisor to the, uh, the executive board, stepped into healthcare innovation. And at first for a couple of hours, then one day, and now it's like seven days, 24-7, <laughs> uh, one of the biggest joys of my life, uh, apart from my family. That is such a wonderful, wonderful story, Lucien. And, you know, now you're, you're spending this life's work. And as you called it, it's, it's not work. It's actually a mission. When you hit that point where, where what you do every day becomes a mission, you don't even feel it. That's when you know you've hit your sweet spot. And it doesn't happen overnight, folks. You know, uh, Lucien's been in this game for a while, as you heard in, in his intro. And so I'm really excited to hear your thoughts, Lucien, on what you think a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today. What is that topic and how are you and your companies approaching it? Well, that's a choice to make, to be honest. The only choice I could make would be patience, which seems so obvious. And each and everyone that stepped into healthcare from a nursing perspective or from a physician perspective or as an administrator, everybody wants to serve patients as good as possible. What I sensed, however, when I joined coming from a business family is the approach of patients and family and their informal care which is mostly from a, I know what this patient needs. And we've seen numerous reports and studies, actually a couple of weeks ago, again surfaced another study that mentions that the average physician interrupts their patients within 11 seconds when they start talking, knowing what they need, at least that they think what their patients need. So what we've done in everything that we also created within a reshape center is that at first, every project we start starts with the patient and their family right from the get-go. So this is not something like, so let's put in a project and then somewhere down the middle or at the end, let's call in some patients or family and let's have them reflect on it, really starting it off from the first moment in time. And you could call that human-centered design or design thinking or service design or whatever name you want to call it. It is acting from the perspective of the ones who it matters the most, Yep. which Sounds obvious again, but the things we've seen is that with all good intentions in that medical process, often the strong signals about mechanisms of disease, about symptoms, and all kinds of other things get the most attention. And the weak signals where patients share what their values are and what they like the most often get tucked away. For good reasons at one end, what we so try to do is to emphasize those, bring that into play, and with that also create a better adherence from the, the treatments and the, the exercises or per se the, the whole interventions of it. So again, also it sounds obvious, I still think that there's a lot to do. And I actually think that the, let's say, and I'm using this in my keynotes right now, that the user interface 
that we have built in healthcare is broken. If you reflect on that from, for instance, what we see in our everyday life, things are completely different. To give you an example, if you or I would order something at 11 a.m. at Amazon Prime, we would get grumpy if it's not been delivered by tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what we got used to. If we take our smartphone, if that's a, an iPhone or an Android, doesn't matter. The user interface is as easy that you almost don't have to explain it. Right. And in healthcare, the majority of the processes we have to explain to our patients. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like a joke. If you have to explain the joke, it's not fun enough anymore. So right. we need some social recalibration of the process of healthcare with everything else that's happening in society. Lucien, no, you, you, you bring up a really great point. I mean, we recently had a, a guest that walked us through his company, uh, trusty.care, where he's helping seniors get access to Medicare because it's so confusing. So yeah. to your point, the user interface is broken and it's a shame, but it's also an opportunity, right? So how do we start approaching this in your mind? Who fixes it? Who does this fall on? And what can we do to make it better? Well, first of all, I don't think it. this is a right or wrong kind of thing. It's more like over time, we now have tools, we got technology, we got experiences, our society has moved on, uh, where the way we delivered healthcare like two centuries ago was great for then. And if we would have the same tools only today, it still would be great, but we've moved on. I sometimes reflect on it also from a, for instance, like we've done with banking. Mm -hmm. There was nothing wrong with banks and tellers and the buildings that you have to go into at that point in time. But now nobody could imagine that you would have to go to a bank to do a transfer. And I think the same is true in healthcare. So to your question, who is going to fix it? I think the patients are going to fix it. What you see right now is that the combination of patients and given tools into their hands, just to name one, Apple is launching in the US right now their personal health record in the operating system of the iPhones. So this is the same commodity as your calculator, as your notepad, as your camera in your smartphone. And within five years from now, nobody even recognizes anymore that there was a moment when we did not have our medical records on our phone. And not only from that one hospital, which is now the case with that portal and their app, no, one app that has all the holistic approach on that. So what I think that's happening, and that's where healthcare, I think, also needs a bit of help, is that this is coming from outside in. Yeah. And at first, neglect these kind of things, like the things that Amazon is doing right now in, in the healthcare space. And we've all seen what happened with the acquisition of, of Whole Foods and uh, the initiative with JP Morgan and Berkshire for their 1.1 million employees, where they now start delivering healthcare and asking Atul Gawande, of all people, to join them, who we did, and uh, recently, last week, Toby Cosgrove, former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, joined Google Cloud. So at first, we neglect these kind of things. And then all of a sudden, we start to realize this is getting serious. And that's where exactly the same will happen as we've seen happening in travel industry, in music, in entertainment, in news. And recently also, for instance, in, in, in mobility, like what happened with Uber, where the, the former cab driver said, well, no, no, these... Travelers just want to travel only with us as trusted parties, and 
we know where that that went. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think help's needed. I think the help is now coming from a completely different angle than some of us have expected. It's coming from tech titans. It's coming from transformational firms, also like Deloitte, that is stepping in and, and helping organizations to make that digital transformation. What also happened in retail and in banking. And I think healthcare is next. Yeah, it's interesting. And also, I would add uh, consumer-focused companies such as Walmart. Or oh, yeah, sure. Yes, right? So, so I, I think Walmart is trying to tip their toes in the water for a couple of years. And I do trust that at one point in time, they will surely step into it. If I now, however, look into what Amazon is doing and the pace and the investments and the steps that they're making within a very short period of time, uh, for my, my new book, I've created this graph where I pictured all the announcements of non-traditional healthcare players over the course of a year with announcements of them stepping into healthcare. And that's getting pretty scary, I can tell you. That's really on an exponential curve right now. And I see a lot of companies in there, but for instance, not a company like Walmart. Yeah, it's interesting. They're moving a lot slower, but the, you know, uh, folks, the other thing too that I want to highlight for you is Lucian book. It's called Augmented Health Care and the care is in parentheses, the end of the beginning. If you haven't had a chance to check this out, this is one that you definitely want to want to look into. You could find it on Amazon and pretty much anywhere you could get books. Is it, is it available on audio yet? Not yet. I'm in the process of narrating it. I thought it made sense to do it myself, but it takes a bit of, a bit of time. So to the title, Augmented Health and Care, indeed, smaller printed because... Yeah, why did you I do that? that? You know, we really have to make a shift from healthcare to health. Mm -hmm. At least in the Netherlands, 90% of the total annual budget goes into fixing stuff. Yeah. Where we know that from a preventive aspect, we can do a lot more and prevent things to occur. And that has to change business models. And that's not something that happens overnight, of course. But I really do want to stress out that we really should uh, strive for a better health in that. And the augmented aspect of the title is that from all the data that is now getting collected on a much more high fidelity as ever before, we're, we're now running from spot measurement where you would be called into a hospital into mm -hmm. continuously monitoring by your smartwatch or the beast on the hip as somebody recently called it. So that brings in different approaches. We have to translate that data into information and maybe even visualizations. And then from three pillars, one would be medicine, create meaning for it. The other one would be from a care perspective, in your home, delivered by care companies. And the third one would be your lifestyle. And those three combined for me creates a augmented layer surrounding the patient and even before you become a patient to make better choices and better judgments of the things that are happening and even could prevent from running into a life event for you, for instance. It's a very interesting framework, Lucien. And folks, we'll leave a link for Lucien's book and the podcast show notes. He definitely comes with, with a lot of different insights and, and, and experience that I think we can all pull a little something or a lot from. And so really appreciate you walking us through that, Lucien. Can you give the listeners an example of a time that you created results or improved outcomes by doing things differently? Sure. Uh, one of my favorite examples is, uh, however, from a couple of years ago. Sure. This was at the 
fairly at the early start of our ReShip Center, where one of my colleagues, who is a professor in medical oncology, stepped up to me while she was busy creating a outpatient clinic for adolescent young adults with cancer. So mm -hmm. these would be kids in the age of 18 to 35, suffering from whatever kind of cancer, and they would have special needs. They would typically be too old for children's oncology and actually too young for mm. grown-up oncology. Yeah. And not specific, not only in treatment, but also in the things that matter to them. This is an age that you start building relationships. It's about sexuality. It's about your work. It's about your education, finance, these kind of stuff. So she thought it made sense to create this outpatient clinic specifically for them on a nationwide scale. And she stepped up to me. She said, I need something digital. These kids are completely digital. And this is what I think we need. We need a website and there should be side effects and there should be treatment options and there should be all kinds of things that she thought that were needed. And we said, sure. But so let's ask them what they need. And and then she said, no, no, that's not needed. I know what they want. And we made a thing out of this, Sol. We said, there's no way we're going to build something first and then step up to them. We think it makes sense to first join them, listen to them thoroughly, what they need, and then facilitate them in building the platform. Yes. And this was really an argument where she kind of bent over and said, so I'm an oncologist for 25 years and you're saying I don't know what my patients need? And I said, no, that's not the case. But maybe there's some of this, what I now like to call weak signals, that could help them and us to buy into that system yes. where we could jointly create a bigger adherence. So in the end of the day, we've pursued together with her, and it's one of my big favorite friends ever since, and we've built that network and that platform is now being enrolled nationwide, is now going to the UK and also into the Nordics. So that's awesome. As simple as this sounds, it was hard. This yeah, went almost up to the board, I can tell you. So this is not something about from process. It's not about technology. It's also about culture. And I think culture is an animal in healthcare that is blocking a lot of the things since I don't think that technology often is the barrier anymore. And sure enough, we need more evidence for some of the things that are happening right now. And some of them will be crappy and some of them won't work. But if you really look into that user interface what and, and listen, really listen what's needed, I think we could achieve big things for not a lot of money extra, actually. Lucien, very insightful. What a great story, too. And and it's sort of that that area that we often run into. You, you pinpointed a that space where, look, you have professionals in the space, physicians, nurses, that, that know, in, in air quotes, what's wrong. And then you have the patient that has their story and they know their story and the way that they live their life. Let's listen to those weaker signals because they oftentimes are what we need to hit that tipping point to create something that will work. And I asked the question a lot, Lucy, and to our guests, like, Tell me about a time that you had a setback and what you learned from it. And one of the things that comes up so often, Lucien, is this exact example that you gave, except the opposite, where they built it and nobody came. <laughs> <laughs> Go <know>? figure. <laughs> yeah. And it happens so often. So I've got to ask, you've been around the block several times, you know the game. 
and the patients at the center of it, oftentimes it's hard to collect feedback. Like what kind of advice would you give to the listeners on getting the feedback? I mean, do you do it digitally? Do you do it by picking up the phone, surveys? Like how do you do it? What's the best way? So first of all, I think there is no best way. The things in your Midwest might be completely different than for us in the Netherlands. Yeah. I think the the generic answer should be, be where your patient and their family are. And if they are on Facebook, go on a Facebook. If they are spending time in your waiting rooms or in the wards, be there. If they are in an age or in a situation that you know that they're heavily involved on the internet or in fora, be there. If you know that they are using apps, so... My answer would be not a typical one. It's more like be there where they are. And one of the things we did actually was that I dearly wanted to make sure that we got this right. So I appointed the, I think the very first chief listening officer in healthcare back then, which is in 2010, her name's Corinne Janssen. And she did a tremendous job in being able to just listen to what patients have to say. And every project that we would ignite would start with her working on that. But from that start, we figured out all kinds of other constraints that they have in all the other processes, like in the onboarding for outpatient clinics or the pre-opt or post-op kind of things. So making sure that you have that listening part good is, I think, the most important one. And, And the interesting thing is if you ask patients to join you in such a process, We've never been disappointed by the outcomes. We've never been disappointed due to the fact that we had too little or too less patients for it. They really love to help us improve healthcare. So we're using all that tools that you just mentioned, but completely different in some sectors, uh, sometimes from demographics, sometimes from location-based, sometimes from disease-based, that it makes sense to do something different or use something different technology. Lucien, so insightful. Be where they are, folks. And there's no one size fits all. And you know, this, I recently had uh, Corbin Petro. She's the president CEO at Benavera Health. And she told a story when she was a youngster, her dad was uh, in government in Ohio. And she remembers one summer attending 72 different county fairs in Ohio. And she went and got to know the perspectives of the constituents of the state. And the insight was that everybody was so different. And it takes me back to this political campaign, you know, in politics, people go where they are and get those insights. And such an insightful comment, Lucia. And I I really appreciate that. And I think the listeners, if you got what you should have gotten out of this, you will find it very insightful. If you missed it, maybe you got distracted, hit the rewind button by 30 seconds and start again <laughs> because this was really good. <laughs> Lucy, and how about on the other side? Like, can you want to share a setback that you had and what you learned from it? Oh, yeah. So, again, this is uh, a choice to make because there are so many. Maybe the best thing is, so it's now 2018. And I think 2012, we've seen all kinds of new technology come up like the iPad, for instance, yeah. where we would be gimmicking and laughing and making fun out of the fact that I could video call you from that tablet and and first playing and fiddling around with it also said, wait a minute, what if we could use this technology for bringing in patients that don't have to be here physically all the time? And it really is an energy drowner for a lot of patients to come from their home to the hospital. And we all know how that, how that works. So 
to picture the historical setting, let's call it like that. Yeah. Those were the days where we had these Polycom video conference systems in the boardroom that cost like 20K. And the only <laughs> yeah. thing you could do with it after you've called in an IT specialist was to phone and call a different university medical hospital if you got things right. So that was the setting back then. So we said, wait a minute, if this technology is able to help, why not try that? So we went on a stroll as in, are there companies already doing that? And it was early days, technology was crappy, but also there was no reimbursement, as you can imagine for that. Legislation was counterproductive into it, no certification or whatsoever. So it took us like four or five years to create a product together with some companies that was kind of stable enough to do it. We were able to convince the government and the healthcare insurance that they also had to put in a tariff to make sure that it doesn't matter anymore if you come in real life or through a video conferencing, because in our system, if you would sit at our desk, that would be reimbursed. If you would call in through video, it wouldn't. So we were able to even change that. We were able to create certification schemes for it. And actually, I think we've got all, all everything right. And then we thought, so now it's going to hit the road. And yeah. it didn't. Huh. It bluntly didn't. And actually, it's now 2018, and it still doesn't. So if you look into it, there's evidence enough. There's no barrier anymore in terms of reimbursement. There's no problem at the patient side because they would say, hey, guys, I'm having a video conference with my grandkids or family or colleagues twice or three times a week. Why can't I have the same with my doctor? And we've tried everything. We've built rooms specifically for our professionals so they could sit in there, great audio, great lighting, everything top notch, and still they didn't, are not using it. Mm -hmm. So the setback occurred from two different angles that we okay. weren't aware of. First of all, there still is a 40% administrative burden for our colleagues. So they're almost more in administrative tasks than seeing patients. Mm -hmm. And they have the feeling that this is something also in that perspective. They have to do a lot. It's not when you just have your outpatient clinics, it's one patient after the other. It's you're being used for it. You're being trained for it. Everything fits. The second thing is that the culture of patients changing the schedule and also the pace of professionals was also something that we underestimated. They thought that now the patients are making and steering my schedule. And basically they're not because we have created a completely digital waiting room for that. So although we had some training in that, we really had to recognize that this, is this will take a generation actually. And this will take a generation, even though each and every one of them has multiple video calls a week with their colleagues, friends, family, what have you, but still not with patients. So they often say, well, my patients don't want it. And that's the interesting thing. In the Netherlands, 76% of the patients say, yeah, sure, let's do it. I'm fine with it. And now there are actually patients calling into healthcare insurers, patients who are self-employed that would say, wait a minute. This would cost me a 800 buck a day to take a day off to make sure that I can get into the hospital for this 10 minute visit. Why not run this video conference? So now patients are really stepping up and demanding this at their insurance organizations and also at physicians. 
very fascinating, Lucy. And, and then you, you get to uh, the thought process of, okay, so there's some, there's some chokeholds from the provider perspective and the practitioner. What about uh, practice innovation, right? You've seen a big shift to direct primary care models. Is this an opportunity for them to say, hey, you know what? We're willing to do it. Absolutely. But the same applies here as well. These guys and girls are trained for like seven or 17 years to do it in, in a particular way. Secondly, they, they have been used to mitigating risks. Of course, they have to. They're physicians, they're professionals, they're nurses. So this is not an easy thing, of course, that you're, that you're running into. And this literally physical distance running through technology is something that just takes time. And the same also will be in terms of shifting in business and, and process models. And in terms of primary care, I could easily imagine that this is going to happen more and more. But I kind of lost the, well, it's not the confidence, the idea that this is going to be a quick fix, which is not. Yeah. Although it could be a big fix for a lot of things, let's be honest. Yeah, no, super fascinating and a great example of just when you think you had all of the factors figured out, there could always be more and always a great lesson. Now, what would you say one of your proudest leadership experiences in medicine has been, Lucien? Uh, well, I think that was the one that I've shared earlier on with our adolescent young and young adults. I think that that's one of the examples that, that really stands out because it also set the bar for us where we say, so if this is the case, then the changes that we can and have to make are simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. We often tend to think that it's way more complex than it is in the end of the day, but the complexity of all the constraints as in reimbursements and, and different silos that we've created in healthcare. So being able to do that and taking that as our core modus operandus within our center, to me, still is one of the aha moments or epiphanies that it is possible to change healthcare from inside out and also from outside in now with all the technology that I'm confident that we will fix the user interface in the end of the day. And by fixing the user interface for healthcare, also creating the hacks, as I like to call it, the healthcare user experience for a lot of people. And actually, I often talk about my four Ds where healthcare is changing. The first D would be the localization of healthcare that we're now able with technology deliver healthcare from a different place and moment and time. The second D will be about the democratization. The citizen or patient will have way more data than we have. As a university medical center, we only have like 5% of the data of our patients. The rest is outside there. And patients are now gathering that themselves. So we will take a subscription on the data of patients as opposed now we give them access to a bit of our portal and, and our portion. The third D would be about digital. And that's not only about the technology framework, but also about the speed. You know, in the early days, we needed a missionary and a boat to get something from Europe to Africa. And now we got YouTube. So the adoption rate in the end of the day from citizens and patients is dramatically increasing. And the last one, the last D would be about dollars. And this is about big companies trying to get a foot between the door, investing tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure that they become part of this journey that we call health. Yeah, such a great insightful framework that you provided there. And it's, it's super interesting to hear 
how you've created stages for each one of these successions in health. Getting close to the end here, Lucian, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare today. It's the 101 of Lucian Engelen. And so I've got four questions, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Mm -hmm. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think the best way is to co-create healthcare right from the get-go, together with patients, family, and informal care. So the whole system in the room. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? To assume that you know what patients need. Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Be curious. Look over the, the defense. Make sure that you take your nose also into other industries. So make sure that you have crossovers. Go and visit a conference that has nothing to do with healthcare. Go into a plumber's association. <laughs> uh, really so. That, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this. We tend to go to conferences where we know what is going to happen. Yeah. We're not even close huh. to being challenged anymore. Go yeah. to a conference of a completely different sector in terms of neuromarketing or God knows what. <laughs> so I have can, you done this recently, Lucia? I'm doing that once or twice a year and I'm challenging awesome. each and everyone in my team to do exactly the same. The thing is that you will come back with insights that you would never have had if you just would stay in your posse conferences. That is so interesting. Go out, stick your nose in somebody else's business <laughs> and be amazed of what you can learn from that. I love that. That is so out of the box. I love that. The last question here is what is one area of focus that should drive everything in a healthcare organization? The experience. So healthcare is not Disney. Although I, I dearly love the work of Fred Lee, who was also one of my speakers at one of my first edXs, who wrote the book, What If Disney Ran a Hospital? A hospital is not Disney World, but we could learn tons of hospitality and we just more and more are running that and we now see that we have onboarding processes that are very similar to our experience when we book a flight which we're used to already so the experience that patients family and also their visitors have is one of the areas where i think that we really should be able to drive the change for that is wonderful folks you could find all of these questions and answers on the website, particularly Lucian's podcast page is outcomesrocket.health slash Lucian. That's L-U-C-I-E-N. What book would you recommend to the listeners, Lucian? Well, that's an easy one. I think it should be a standard work for each and every one working in healthcare. Eric Topol's book, The Patient Will See You Now. I think that Eric is not only the godfather of digital uh, medicine, but also is able to guide us and has guided us for numerous years into the change that's coming up in healthcare. If you also take into account the things that, that he has seen also as a physician himself and the great stories that are also in that book, that should be definitely on your desk uh, right away. Amazing. We'll definitely put that on, Lucien. For those of you that have not read it, it's an amazing book. Of course, apart from Mr. Lucien's book, Augmented Health. <laughs> Lucien, we're here at the end. I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could follow your work. Yeah, we're at the end. So again, the subtitle of my book is The End of the Beginning. It's a tongue-in-cheek to Winston Churchill's statement, of course. Be amazed about the change that's coming up. A lot of people think that we're in the midst of it or at the end of it. We're not. 
the overhaul of healthcare from a traditional service being delivered as separate interventions from different silos is going to transfer in what I like to call HaaS, which is health as a service. This will not come overnight. We will underestimate the speed of it, as Roy Amara always said, but we will, we will overestimate the speed that it comes, but underestimate the impact of it. And I think that's something that we all really should take into account. I got like 13,000 colleagues, and I really would love to have them to have a relevant job in 10 years from now, but that won't come easy. We really have to make sure that we'll recalibrate with society. A great, great thought there. And what would you say the best place for people to follow your work is? So I blog uh, as a LinkedIn influencer on LinkedIn. So find me with Lucian Engelen uh, on LinkedIn. It's over 750,000 followers or something like that already. Next to that, I also write a lot on my own website, www.lucianengelen.com. And my Twitter handle is at Lucian Engelen, as you can imagine. Outstanding. Folks, if you haven't had a chance to read Lucian's blogs, fascinating and thought-provoking, I highly recommend them. Lucian, this has been a, a true pleasure, my friend. So glad that you joined us today and uh, we're, we're very thankful for you. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, have a great day. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.